Welcome to Delegate. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. Shout out to our sponsor, Boardroom, for providing us with support, data, and governance intelligence, helping us to complete this episode. Boardroom is a governance platform connecting voters and developers to hundreds of DAOs, helping them make faster, smarter, and more informed decisions while shaping the future of the protocols that they own. You can access your dashboard to claim your governor card on boardroom.io and start tracking unlimited wallets and projects by signing up. Make sure to receive their weekly governance recaps by signing up for the newsletter and subscribing to this podcast. In this week's episode, we continue our DAO governance spotlight. In our last episode, we highlighted Optimism Season 4 and all of the changes. In this episode, we dive into the world of Arbitrum DAO, a prominent, if not the most prominent player in the realm of L2 decentralized governance. We'll be hearing from key voices within the Arbitrum community, including Patty McCreary from the Foundation, some of our favorites, Matt on Chain from BlockWorks Research, and Frision from Tally. Some of the things that we're going to explore are the reasons that the DAO exists, some of the structures that are implemented, and some of the actual projects that are being worked on. We'll also discuss implications of decisions being made within the DAO and what these prominent delegates and foundation members look forward to when it comes to Arbitrum. So let's kick it off talking to Patty McCurry from the Arbitrum Foundation. Patty joins us from an academic background, researching various aspects in cryptography, including cryptocurrencies. Patty spent some time at Consensus and now leads research and education at the Arbitrum Foundation. We'll hear from Patty himself. So hi, my name is Patrick McCurry. At the Arbitrum Foundation, my job is focused on research and education. So right now, I'm trying to build out a research team that will hopefully advise the DAO towards protocol upgrades. Then education is really just about teaching people why this technology is so exciting. Like, why should we care about rollup as a technology stack, for example? So I did my PhD in cryptocurrencies. That's where I got started back in 2013 and until 2016. So I started off in the Bitcoin world, then I moved over to Ethereum. The way I got started there was I did cryptography as an undergrad, and it was a really hard module because I'm not very good at math. So I asked my student to be advisor. I was like, oh, let's, can I do a cryptography PhD? I want to get good at this. And then he told me about this thing called Bitcoin, you know, and it's a cryptocurrency, so it must be full of cryptography. So I went and read the white paper. I joined the IRC channels. I got chatting to people. I was like, damn, this is a really cool topic. I mean, it's very little cryptography, by the way. It's just hash functions and digital signatures, but... You know, you won't fall down that rabbit hole, you never really get back out. So and then from 2016 onwards, I tried to be an academic until 2019. I did a lot of research around payment channels, state channels, and really just trying to understand how can we make this affordable so people can actually use the systems. Then in 2019, I left the university, sort of rage quit a little bit, and I tried to do a startup called Anita Sender. 2020 bear market, as we're all aware, that was the worst time to fundraise. But it was fine. We built it for nine months and then we got really lucky and Fear acquired the software. And then I was in a Fear for two years. 
I guess in a fear of my, the joke internally was that I was an intern because I have a research background and they're all hardcore DevOps. And I still don't know anything about DevOps. I don't know anything about Terraform or Plumi. So yeah, I, they, I think basically they shielded me from the DevOps work and just let me do research. I was really focused on Plasma and rollups and really trying to be an independent voice of why this technology is really cool. One of the big questions that arises when any large project decides to move towards a full DAO structure is, what spurred the need for a DAO? Many projects decide to become a DAO, either progressively or from the offset, but in many instances there isn't a clear strategy or requirement for it beyond building and engaging communities. Paddy gives a great breakdown of why Arbitrum have taken that route and why it's necessary for their journey. I joined the Arbitrum Foundation after the airdrop, and so... I sort of inherited all of this framework and all of the decisions prior to that. And when I joined the foundation, I never really worked with a DAO before. I never really looked in the DAOs. I just like a technical research. So, and I've been introduced to this huge DAO full of delegates and basically random people on the internet who really care about this software. And I'm just trying to understand, well, why do we have a DAO for? Why does it exist? And I sort of got a good reason for it now. So, so I mean, the, so the DAO itself has two primary purposes. So one is, it's basically the backstop to the bridge that you bridge on the Arbitrum, and it's the ultimate protector. If we want to upgrade this network, if we want to upgrade the bridge, the DAO's primary duty is to protect the funds in the bridge and the approve all the upgrades. At the same time, the DAO also has a treasury where it can hopefully fund development that works towards the betterment of both Ethereum and Arbitrum. So I think the two duties, you know, one is approving upgrades and hopefully setting the direction of the Arbitrum protocol. And the other is that it does have a, a huge treasury, this mammoth, to basically fund the future development of Arbitrum, which is really exciting. So that's one angle. That's like the two core missions. But I think if you want like a high-level overview of why the DAO even exists, like why do we even care about this DAO? Why do they have that authority? So the analogy I like to use is when we think of open source software, yep, there's a GitHub typically. There's a GitHub, there's repo, there's code. There's some maintainers you know, who write help basically maintain the code repo. Then anyone can come along, they can do a PR, they can contribute code to this project, then they can download the code and they can run an instance of this code. That's sort of the soul of open source, that anyone can contribute to it and anyone can run the code as well. Now, the problem with blockchain networks is that even though the code is open so that anyone could read it and anyone could contribute to it, it doesn't always make sense to have multiple deployments. So in the case of Arbitrum, there's the Arbitrum 1, there's Arbitrum Nova, but there's really just like one or two big deployments or an instance of the software. And so in that case, if you have a huge instance of this software that protects billions of dollars, well, the GitHub model doesn't really work anymore. You need something else that can authorize upgrades to the live instance of the code. And that's what the DAO does. So it's, it will review all the code that's done in GitHub, and then it will, of course, approve it and deploy it live on the system. So to me, that's why DAOs make sense, because there's only one instance of the code, so you need someone to govern that. And then obviously the best people to govern that are people who care about the network. And that's obviously the token holders. So that's sort of the motivation for the DAO in a nutshell. And I think it's really compelling actually when you think about it that way. Next, we spoke to Paddy about the first proposal for the DAO, AIP-1, which was posted the same day as the airdrop. This proposal was surrounded with controversy, in particular regarding the token allocation approval for the Arbitrum Foundation. Whilst it's not unusual for foundations to receive a large portion of the token allocations, the boundaries weren't clear between what had been decided and what was still up for vote, spurring further dialogue on the matter. So 
I think the reason it failed was really bad communication. So the proposal was put on the forum on the day of the airdrop, but because everyone's so excited by the airdrop, no one's really looking at the message board or the proposals. So when I joined the foundation, that's the first thing I looked at. I was like, okay, what are the proposals there? And that was the first one I saw. And obviously, if that wasn't well communicated and wasn't brought to everyone's forefront that, oh, there's this proposal that should basically ratify the constitution and the framework and, of course, fund the foundation from a part of the treasury. Well, then when people discover that on the proposal, on, on the forum, they ask really good questions. They're like, oh, why are we agreeing? Like, why are we approving this for? Surely this was already done. And also as well, sort of, why do you need that many coins? You know, why, why are we approving this without any discussion? And so obviously that kicked off. I think that was Blockworks who triggered that on the forum. It was my third day on the job. I was actually making slides about proof of stake Ethereum. And then I saw the forum post and I saw the Twitter. I don't want to say outrage, but, you know, people sort of got very vocal about it. And then internally, we started evaluating this, being like, okay, what's happening here? Like, why are all these people really angry for? And you know what? It sort of demonstrates that the DAO is exceedingly powerful. That's the one thing the founders did for Arbitrum. They took all the code and all the resources and gave it straight to the DAO. And just from the very beginning, the DAO has the sole authority over basically the entire network and all the funds. They did the right thing. They looked at the proposal. They evaluated it. They said, no, we weren't really informed about this in advance, or at least it wasn't well communicated. And so we're just going to reject it. And then you're going to have to come back to us with a different proposal where one, you acknowledge the framework that had to be set up in advance, give us an opportunity to modify the framework. So that's AIP 1.2. Then of course, put conditions around your budget so we just aren't giving you a blind check. And so now, hopefully by the time this airs, it should be both proposals should be approved on tally. And then we can actually start kickstarting the entire process. And so the transparency is basically... For our budget, it's going to be locked up in a vesting contract and it'll be released over four years. And the DAO has the authority to pull that funding at any time. And we also have to commit the transparency reports so the DAO actually is aware of how we're spending our funds and what we're doing with it. So far, they've voted positively for it and we're all moving along together. So yeah, it's true, true DAO governance. What a wonderful example of DAO governance at work. One of the conclusions that we reached with Patty was that the DAO was doing exactly what they were supposed to. Yeah, DAFO, yeah, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They evaluated the proposal. We we can't sway them. We're like basically the DAO is the brain, we're the hands, we're just operatives. The brain rejected us, and so we had to go back to the brain and work with them the so we could actually operate on their behalf. So yeah, they did exactly what they're supposed to. An area we wanted to go a bit deeper into was a follow up to the initial proposal, which is AIP one point one. AIP 1.1 looked to clarify on the lockup, the budget, and transparency measures going forward, and how it looks to get over any hurdles. So right now, the commitment, as far as I remember, is to release them every six months. Basically, it's going to categorize how we're spending our funds. Now, I guess the important bit for the transparency part is that there's some stuff that we can make very transparent, and there's also other parts that we can't. And this was sort of part of the debate with the DAO. So one part of the transparency report that's going to be a bit difficult are when we have discrete agreements. We have certain partners that will eventually benefit the DAO. So one example may be Reddit. Let's say we made an agreement with Reddit. They don't necessarily want that full agreement to be posted to a public forum until it really has to be, until they've actually launched on the service and then everything can come out after that. But the transparency reports are basically going to say how we're, like the categories of how we're spending our funds. And hopefully it'll be much more concrete when we give our transparency report. 
now that the DAO has started to find its feet and has taken structure, there are already more proposals in the works. We're here from Paddy. What else is going on in the world of ARB governance? Well, I think, well, there's a few things. So, so right now, the only two votes up on Tally is AIP 1.1 and 1.2. And that's, of course, the, you know, setting up the entire framework for the DAO. There's another proposal right now on Snapshot submitted by Alchemy where they want the sequencer to enable a JSON RPC to support account abstraction. So that's really cool. You know, they, they want us, they want to support account abstraction. How do you inform the sequencer to do that? You create a constitutional AIP, you submit it, you have a feedback period. They put it on Snapshot, they put it on Tally, and then hopefully it gets approved and we upgrade our sequencer. So that's one example that's currently being voted on right now. Then the other proposal that's coming through the pipeline is one by Disruption Joe. I think it's probably going to be on Snapchat very soon, where he wants to set up a, a grant program where essentially Disruption Joe and Plurality Labs will be the manager of the grant program. But the point of the grant program is to experiment with different ways to issue grants. So I think it has like five different little programs and they'll all have different experiments of how they can give out the funds. And they'll hopefully be on Snapchat very soon to vote for but that's cool. That's like another, I want, I want to say random person on the internet, but obviously he's part of the cryptocurrency community who's basically said, oh, I want to submit this grant. It may be a way for me to fund my startup and actually experiment with different ways to issue grants. So I think that's really exciting. It's just these people are doing it and I don't actually have a lot of involvement. It's just, I, because at the end of the day, it's the DAO to do this. It's, it's not us. It's for them to take ownership. We've learned so much from our conversation with Patty so far. To close out, this specific conversation, we ask about the future of Arbitrum DAO, what we can expect, and maybe what direction will Arbitrum move in the future? So this came up on our first governance call, and I think what was really important to set out from the onset is that the future roadmap of Arbitrum isn't decided by the foundation, it's actually up to the DAO. So what I would really like to see is multiple different service providers or contributors will submit proposals to the DAO on how they want to see the, the protocol upgraded. And then hopefully the DAO will vote on that, and then obviously it'll get integrated. So two examples coming up that I know are coming from off-chain labs. One would be a new challenge protocol to help alleviate some of the issues with the current challenge protocol. And the second one, Stylus, which is sort of enabling Web2 languages like Rust or whatever else you'd want to program in that compiles down the WASM. And that'll be submitted to the DAO, then the DAO has to vote for that. But again, off-chain labs clearly have they're working on the software. They have an idea where they want this to go, but the DAO would actually have to vote for that and approve it. And I think the real task of the foundation is for us is really working out what does, how does the DAO want to see the Arbitrum protocol evolve? And then how can we help them from a research angle? So what I see, like, I see the job of our research team is getting really good people on board with diverse backgrounds who can help inform the DAO about, about certain topics. So let's just say a proposal comes up about MEV. We should be in a position to inform the DAO about the pros and the cons. So we don't sway them, but we just let them know, well, if this gets approved, this is basically the outcome. And then they can decide what they want to do. So we're just there to assist them and enable them, which is sort of the end goal of a DAO anyway, just to help them. We love speaking to our top delegates within the ecosystem. This helps to provide the ecosystem communities with a chance to learn more about their delegates and also get an idea how they look to solve some of the most complicated problems that the network faces through governance. Our next guest here is Matt Feebach. I often just refer to him as Matt on Chain. If you're not following him on Twitter, check that out in the show notes. 
He is an all-star research analyst at BlockWorks. And well, BlockWorks, some of us know them from their media or research pieces. But let's let Matt remind us of exactly what they do and how governance fits into the equation. I'm Matt Feeback. I'm a research analyst at BlockWorks Research. We're a subscription product. Most of our subscribers are hedge funds, VC funds, institutions, and some larger whales and retail individuals. We cover only DeFi L1s and L2s, and each analyst has their own specific niche that they cover. So I personally cover derivatives and DEXs, as well as have recently been gaining a lot more of an interest in sequencers and in governance. So I've spent a lot of time on my own time in the forums, checking out what's going on in my covered assets. We also have GovHub, which is our governance product. It streamlines the most important governance proposals, whether they be in forums, snapshot, or on-chain. And we aggregate it all into a feed so it goes directly to you. And it's all the investable insights from governance with whoever covers that specific asset's opinion on whether it should pass or how it might affect the asset's price. We recently got Arbitrum delegations and participated in the Uniswap Agora race. So we'll hopefully be receiving a Uniswap delegation soon. We do that because we think it's extremely important to actually support the protocols and assets we cover. Without success in DeFi and crypto, there's nothing for us to research. So we find it pivotal that we are contributors to these protocols as well. Cam and I are both bullish on entities in the space who understand the relationship between extracting value and providing value through contribution. Matt clearly understands the synergies of being a governance contributor. So he wants to find out what does BlockWorks Research Delegation stand for? And in other words, what are the driving motivations or factors within their decision process? Yeah, so I think that the most important things for Arbitrum delegates to consider is A, how we're spending treasury funds. B, how we're attracting and incentivizing very good developers, building killer apps to come build on Arbitrum versus other places and building the tools to do to support that, incentivizing them however that we might. And yeah, I think that those are probably the two biggest things that a delegate should be doing. And then the way I look at it, and this is me personally, is delegates are basically management if protocols are companies. Protocols aren't companies, but I think that it's a fair metaphor to look at delegates as management. So delegates should be out there looking to hire the best individuals, contributors, service providers for a given role that the DAO needs. So I think that's kind of like my overarching framework of how BlockWorks Research should be approaching delegation. At the same time, our team is eight members and every single decision we make is is holistic with the whole team's input and we all contribute. So even though that's how I look at it, others on the team might slightly disagree, but I think that's kind of overarching BlockWorks Research's outlook on delegation in general. Delegates are on the ground working in DAO governance, giving them great insight into the operations, opportunities and challenges within the space. We hear from Matt on where Arbitrum DAO is at the moment and where they need to get to. When it comes to Arbitrum's governance, it's still really forming. It's nascent. So in my opinion, it's still like there's not a great North Star for the DAO. So things like, should we be extracting MEV? Should there be a MEV extracting sequencer? Should we be trying to take as much value as possible and drive it back to the DAO treasury? These are things that the DAO is going to have to decide. And I think when Offchain Labs gave power over to the DAO at Token Generation, they purposefully didn't really lead any of these opinions like, They just left it in the hands of the DAO. Token holders have full say, full control over what the protocol looks like. And that's an amazing and awesome precedent that really don't think I can't think of another protocol or DAO that's done something similar. So we're still figuring out what governance looks like. Like, obviously, we have a general framework for what a foreign post should look look like, how long it should go on snapshot, and then it should hit on-chain voting, which is awesome, by the way, because lots of DAOs don't have on-chain voting. So seeing as there's lots of protocols, protocol parameters controlled by the DAO and having that process in place is amazing. But in my 
opinion, the DAO still needs to form concrete North Stars as to what kind of the overarching ideals of the DAO are. And that's not something that's going to happen immediately. It's going to take lots of discussion and lots of stakeholders. And realistically, it could take a year or two. But I do think that's something that the DAO needs to address over the next year or two. We've now covered the where, who, and why regarding BlockWorks at Arbitrum. But we wanted to understand how they operate as an organization, especially looking at Arbitrum and the value they bring as a delegate. So that's still something we're figuring out, right? We've only done in two DAOs, but the way that I see it working is the analyst who covers the asset. So for instance, a big part of my job is already going to be staying up with important updates in the forums. So like, for instance, if there's a proposal to turn on the fee switch, that's really important information that I need the details on to then provide to our subscribers already. Now, the big difference in being a research analyst and potentially being a delegate is that I need to contribute. So instead of just being there as an extractive entity that reads and learns and takes the valuable information and provides it, I need to actually go give comments and insights and things that are helpful to contribute to the DAO and to the discussion and to hopefully to hopefully build a better proposal in the long run. At that point, maybe it makes sense for BlockWorks Research to, to think about becoming a delegate there. As Paddy mentioned, BlockWorks are actually one of the first to begin challenging the AIP-1, the Constitution. We wanted to get their view on how the Arbitrum Foundation reacted to their challenges and how it was working on improving the initial proposal together. AIP 1.2. So like this was kind of how BlockWorks Research really got our funded delegation. Like We became an Arbitrum delegate at TGE, but we noticed in the pr- first initial proposal for Arbitrum that there was some things that weren't clearly stated, that it looked like the DAO was being given the decision to make, but in reality, there were decisions that had already been made. We made a comment and a Twitter thread that got a lot of traction on it, and that was AIP 1.1. AIP 1.2 actually took iterations and created KPIs, took all of our feedback into account, and it was really amazing to see because a lot of the time I think that teams like Off-Chain Labs or the Arbitrum Foundation might have had some animosity towards us after that, but it was actually the opposite. They were like, thank you so much for pointing these things out, and it's really great to see that they want service providers, they want true decentralization, so... I'm hugely impressed by all the stakeholders in Arbitrum. I'm excited to see where the protocol goes. BlockWorks research has become a staple in the governance of Arbitrum. So we took this opportunity to ask Matt about what he's excited about for the future and any potential calls to action that he might have for the Arbitrum community or the governance community in general. Yeah, I think grants program is the perfect call out for things I'm most excited about. There's a lot of proposals and actually this ties in perfectly with my call to action as well. So it's going to be both at the same time. So right now there's three grants program proposals, I think three that I've seen, Questbook, Plurality Labs, and a third that's like emerging right now from Shreyas from Lama, who's pronouncing like an Ave grants DAO. So I'm excited because I think the layer two wars are going to be heating up, meaning ZK Sync, Scroll, Linea, Arbitrum, Optimism, like these are all emerging L2s. And today it's not super difficult for them to attract great builders. Like we've seen GMX go to Arbitrum and Gains Network and a bunch of other great products or dApps. But over time, this is going to become a more difficult feat. And because of that, every L2 is going to need a very good ecosystem, fund grants program, whatever it might be, way of attracting great developers to come build on their L2. And like the tech stack is a huge part of that. Obviously, you need to have the tooling and tech stack to support these builders, but grants programs are going to be pivotal in L2s seeing success in the long term. So I'm excited to see a, a grants program get implemented. That said, my call to action is go propose things in DAOs. There's a lot of proposals that have 
big holes in them that we still end up maybe passing because they're the best option and it's something that's necessary. But if you're someone that really is passionate about whether it be a protocol like Uniswap or an L2 like Arbitrum or, or even an L1, go contribute, go create programs that further the doubt. Maybe start with don't even ask for anything, any payment or a very small payment where you're providing more services than you're receiving value for. But at the end of the day, if you prove that you're a valuable contributor, can, you will get compensated fairly. And it's something that not nearly enough people are willing to do. So if you're passionate, go contribute, go create a grants program, go create a marketing campaign, whatever your skill set might be, there's a DAO out there that needs you. So go, and also this is a good time to show Blockworks Grant Farm as well. If you go to blockworks.co slash grants, you can actually check out a lot of the things that DAOs are currently hiring for. And that's probably a good place to start. All right, all right. So over the last 25 minutes or so, we've covered quite a bit of information. We talked with Patty about why the Arbitrum DAO exists, what the Arbitrum Foundation learned, and matter of fact, that the Arbitrum DAO is actually operating as intended. Then we moved on to BlockWorks Research, where Matt went into detail on how BlockWorks thinks about delegation, what they focus on, and even what they're excited about regarding the future of the Arbitrum DAO. We did also talk about AIP-1 and subsequent 1.1 and 1.2 proposals. Our next guest brings an exciting energy to the show. Frisian from Tally. He's lead of everything that isn't engineering. You can catch him out in the ecosystem on forums and also catch him on Twitter. We're going to pass it off to Frisian to learn a little bit about him and what he's been up to. I'm Frisian. I like to call myself head of things that aren't engineering at Tally. So <laughs> I joined about a year and a half ago at Tally, and it was basically all engineers and an amazing lead designer we have named Adrian. And they were like, we should probably think about distribution a little bit. I was like, I agree. I have lots of ideas for how to do this. And it's been a wild year and a half since then. We've just, we're really focused on education. So we create a ton of content about on-chain governance, about protocol decentralization, about DAOs. We do IRL events. And lately, I've also been spending a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with, with teams, with protocol teams, with community members, and just talking about governance. We're really excited for this conversation because Frisian and the Tally crew are already well acquainted within the Arbitrum community. Not only is their front end used for governance purposes, they also aided in the token event and are super active in the forum, helping to lead and foster discussion around many complex topics. Launching a DAO is kind of like a wedding, right? It's like really important to you, but you hopefully only do it once or maybe, you know, <laughs> one-ish times. And, and so there's opportunity for us as well as other folks in the ecosystem to really like share learnings, right, from DAO to DAO. So yeah, that's like really my focus. I'm like a very passionate Ethereum community member in general. I've been doing stuff on chain for like three or four years now. I originally like fell down the rabbit hole with Vitalik's content, like not even Ethereum specifically, just like reading his blog. And then I'm like a little bit of a hobbyist investing nerd on the side. Now crypto is my best friend. I just went 
like turbo all the way down the rabbit hole and haven't emerged since. We love Frigin's background and working within the ecosystem is something that he takes on with the utmost responsibility. So, what about the Arbitrum DAO? What does Frigin, Tally, and their delegation generally mean for Arbitrum? What are the summer things that they're looking forward to and strategizing for when working through governance? Let's find out. Yeah, so for Arbitrum, my my thesis about the DAO specifically is that it it serves two very important purposes. Number one, and probably the most important one, is to maintain the credible neutrality of Arbitrum's ecosystem, like the rollups, the protocols, and just the ecosystem as a whole. And so it it is sort of like the venue by which changes are introduced, right? By which upgrades are made to the rollups to Arbitrum 1 and the Arbitrum Nova, the antitrust chains, by which new people are sort of permissioned to fork Arbitrum, by which new chains are added, right? By which like the sequencer revenue is distributed. And so I think decentralization is sort of like the, and maintaining that is actually the most important use case of the DAO, which is interesting because sometimes that actually involves doing nothing. I'm very careful about potential changes or proposals that are introduced that could compromise the trust model of the DAO. So for like moving a bunch of resources into an area that's not actually governed by the DAO, or there's going to be elections for the Arbitrum Security Council, thinking about who we're electing to the Security Council and making sure yeah, it maintains that integrity. And then the other important mission of the DAO for me is to deploy the ARB that's in the treasury to grow the ecosystem. The DAO has like a like $3 billion worth of ARB or more, 3 to $4 billion worth of ARB. I think this is like a latent opportunity to incentivize like builders and users on Arbitrum. I think you actually want to like have it be deployed in the ecosystem for effectively right? To grow the ecosystem. So looking for opportunities to do that is kind of my other main focus. Given how close Tally is to the Arbitrum ecosystem, we took this opportunity to expand on some of the topics we were previously discussing. One of Frisian's focuses is to ensure that the ARB token is distributed equitably and in a manner that benefits the ecosystem. So here, we generally talk about how that might look like, as well as other important proposals that will be coming up for Arbitrum and what to keep an eye out for as a governance participant. One way to deploy the ARB from the Treasury is via grants programs. And this is a very well-established thing that most DAOs that are at scale do in the ecosystem. One interesting, I would say, nuance of the Arbitrum DAO is like it's probably more decentralized than I think a lot of people would think, (laughs) including like at the social layer. There isn't some organization that was like, the DAO's live, now here's how the grants program works, which is the case, I think, in a lot of DAOs. Or just over time, they've established procedures for that. This is not actually established yet in the Arbitrum DAO. And so what's going on right now is there's a bunch of aspiring service providers that are basically pitching the DAO on like being a grants program administrator for Arbitrum. Three, I think, credible proposals that I'm currently aware of live. There's one from QuestBook, one from Plurality Labs and Disruption Joe, and one from Llama, Shreyas at at Llama. And so the DAO is kind of evaluating which of those proposals they feel comfortable supporting. So that is one major development in the Arbitrum DAO. And then I think the other one that I would call out is like procedural, and it's more around this decentralization, maintaining integrity topic. So there's kind of like a whole thing about like establishing the the DAO's relationship with the Arbitrum Foundation, which is like a different entity. 
and like the DAO wasn't very happy with the original like design of that. And so that there are these like alternative proposals made that included having the foundation's funds investing contract and some other like important changes there that those proposals have already passed. Those are like the first two proposals that actually pass on chain in the Arbitrum DAO. But there will be more stuff coming up. Like, for example, the re-election of the Security Council is something that, that people should be on the lookout for. So those are like the major categories of proposals that I would say. There's also one actually that's live right now that's like an improvement to to to, Ar- to Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova around account abstraction. So there's some early like chain tech upgrades also coming through. So maybe that's like a third category to think about as well. So grants programs, the like DAO governance slash procedural stuff, and then chain upgrades, which like there's kind of one proposal going through now about that, but maybe more, more to come. There's a really interesting call out with how Frisian views what's going on within the Arbitrum ecosystem. Quite often in token economies, in various forms of incentive research, we like to bucket things really into three categories. A technical category, a social category, and an ecosystem or external category. So this is really a way that Frisian views the ecosystem and activities. For example, from a technical perspective, you have chain upgrades. From a social perspective, you have the further development of procedures within governance. And from an ecosystem or external perspective, the grants program. And so this really reassures us of a holistic approach of how delegates, the foundation, and the community are approaching Arbitrum. Closing out our conversation here with Frigian, we want to know what his call to action is for the community. So what I would say is for better or worse, for me, it's mostly better. The Arbitrum DAO is a lot more decentralized than you think it is. I think a lot of people, they saw like you know, blow up around AIP1. They're like, oh, it's a fake DAO or whatever. It's actually not. There is no way. There's no way to spend the DAO funds, which are three to four billion dollars. And there's no way to change any of Arbitrum's protocols or technology, except for through the DAO. And so the scope of that is massive. Like the amount of overall resources that the DAO controls is huge. Both chains, all the assets on both chains. The DAO in the constitution has the ability to hire and fire foundation directors, which the foundation is a billion dollar entity in and of itself. That's an off-chain thing. So we'll see how that plays out. But like in the constitution, the Arbitrum DAO controls the foundation. This is a challenge in some ways because it's kind of like, where do you start? There's guidelines on how to propose it, but every step isn't necessarily clear or people are like changing it on their own via social consensus. And so it's like chaotic, but truly there is a lot of opportunity there. And so would encourage people who are entrepreneurial and builders in the ecosystem to look at the DAO and think about what role they could potentially play. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to our guests, Patty from the Arbitrum Foundation, Matt from Blockworks Research, and Frisian from Tally. The insights shared on this episode are invaluable for community members, token holders, and governance participants. Special thanks to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode and all of our episodes. You could find their links in the show notes 
below. 